Good evening. Um, hello, welcome to the house. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm a pastor here with the ministry. Um, and uh, this thing, this, this thing we call the house is a little bit of an interesting beast. Uh, I don't really know of another college ministry like it in the nation. Um, I've worked at another one and was a part of another one. We're friends with lots of them. It's just kind of, we have an interesting structure and our mission and vision is um, pretty nuanced uh, for this city and this place. Um, and but because there's so many people during the first few weeks uh, of the school year that are just trying to, they're showing up just to see if this is a place for them. Uh, I really wanna make sure that, that in the first few weeks I say a few words about who we are. Um, so uh, last week I talked quite a bit about how the house is a place for people to be known and to know Jesus. Um, that's what we're about, and if that's what you want, it's probably a great place for you. Uh, if, on the other hand, um, you're looking for uh, like a theological sort of like A to Z to like set you up to, I don't know, do th things, uh, or if what you're looking for is like a, a, a plan, like a four-point plan to evangelize to your roommate, um, or if what you want is like a pretty safe community that's just pretty comfortable and doesn't um, dig into the mess of things, this might be a frustrating place for you. Uh, even tonight, like I, I um, near the beginning of some of the stuff I have. So like I said, if what you're looking for is a place that doesn't have like audio errors, uh, this isn't gonna be the place for you. Um, hey, <laughs> all right, this works, I'm higher now. Um, Anyway, uh, what we want here is for you to be known and to know Jesus. That's what we're about, all right? Um, uh, if you missed last week, we do have a podcast on, um, on iTunes or other things. Uh, and then uh, we've got tons of stuff on social media, like the relevant social media stuff that I'm way behind on, like Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, things. Um, and you can find out more about who we are and connect with our staff and leaders there. Uh, so I want to tell you about that. Would you do me a favor at the soundboard and just turn the sensitivity down on this a little bit so I can get a little more intimate with it? Thanks. Um, all right, let's get into our study of Daniel before everything comes off the rails. Uh, all right, so here's, here's the question I want to kind of start with tonight for y'all, and I want you to think about this with me throughout um, out the sermon tonight. What, most of you are going to probably hate this question. Uh, that's okay. Uh, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? This, I, I, I know that this is the question that just buzzes all throughout college. What are you going to do with your life? It's like a nickel question. It's like so easy to ask for a million dollar answer. You know, I hate it because it feels like that. It's so easy for me to say, what are you going to do with your life? And you're like, ah, I don't know. Uh, or, or you have millions of plans or whatever. It's just so easy to ask. And it seems like it should be pretty easy to answer. What are you going to do with your life? When I was 18 years old, I walked into this intern office of a college ministry uh, in some ways similar to the house um, that I was a part of at the University of Washington. Go Huskies. Uh, and, and this guy named Joe, I walked into this office. I'd never met him before. This guy named Joe um, looked at me and he said, who are you? I said, well, hey, man, my name is Jason Leonard. He goes, I, I heard of you. And I asked him if that was like a good or a bad thing. I didn't really know. And, and he ignored the question. And instead, uh, he, he just asked uh, the question that everyone asked when I was a, a freshman in college. He said, so Jason, what are you going to do with your life? Right? It was a couple months into school, and I was already sick of that question. But I thought about it a lot. So I just said, do you want me to really answer, or are you just making small talk? And he said, I really want to know. And so I sat down on this couch, and he was in this, like, swivel business, like, office chair sitting next to it. And I proceeded to tell him, like, what I was majoring in and why I was majoring in it. 
what I wanted to do after college and why. And I kept going and going and going. Where I'm from, everybody had sort of a 5, 10, 15-year life plan sort of thing. And, uh, and at about 10 years out of college in my plans, he started laughing at me. <laughs> uh, and I was, like, being really vulnerable with him. Like, I was telling him these things that, that mattered a lot to me. He started laughing. And, and I think um, my plans were some of the way that I was uh, trying to reflect who I was and what I was about. My identity was in them and how important I was in the world was in them and, and what I think is important in, in, in the world and about me was in them. And, uh, and I thought my life worth was in some ways communicated in that. And so when he laughed, I was pretty hurt and offended, honestly. And I asked him, why are you laughing when I'm telling you about my life, Joe? Uh, and he was like, literally, like belly laughing you know, at me and I'd never met him before and, and I've never forgotten his response. Because it was a little offensive, and it's really what I needed to hear. He said, uh, he said, a guy like you, you can make plans all you want, but you have no idea what God's going to do with your life. He has greater things planned for you than you can ever imagine. And then I kid you not, he, he literally, as soon as he said that last word, he turned his chair and just went back to his computer and started typing. Like, the conversation was over, and there was no commentary after that. And I had just met him, and he turned around and started typing, and I said, all right, see you later. Uh, and I, I was really mad, you know, in that moment. And so I didn't know what to do, and I left. And, and, and man, it stirred with me. It was offensive because what he was saying is that I didn't know. And I was offended by that. My pride was hurt by that. But I, I haven't forgotten it because he was right. I didn't know. And, and without even much of a fight, he just, like, threw a grenade in and went, I got to do work on emails or something, you know, and turned around, and, and he, was, he was right. What are you going to do with your life? It's such an easy question to answer. But tease out just for a minute with me, and this is sort of harrowing for me to do this to y'all. Uh, this is sort of the stuff I do, uh, so it's honest, I guess. But, uh, but listen how crazy it is to try to answer that question, right? Like, how are you going to spend the only life you have? What are you majoring in? Maybe sounds easy for some of you at some point. Who are going to be your closest friends in a couple years? When are you going to get married? Are you going to get married? How many kids are you going to have if you can have kids? Where are you going to live? How do you plan to spend your 40s? Where are you going to spend your money? What does retirement look like for you? Do you want to live near your grandkids one day? How are you going to pass the torch of wisdom to younger generations when you're in your 80s? Do you want to be buried or cremated? Every single one of us in this room will answer all of those questions. All of them. We will all face questions like that, and we must answer them somehow. Our life will actually, when somebody says, what are you going to do with your life? I don't know. When somebody says, what have you done with your life? There will be factual answers to all of those questions in response to our lives. Some of it is really difficult to answer because I don't know. I can't see the future. I really don't know. Some of it's difficult to answer because I, I know what I want. I just don't know if I can make it happen. And some of it's difficult to answer because I don't even like to think about it. What are you going to do with your life? Friends, you have no idea. I do submit to you, and I want to make the argument tonight, that God has greater things planned for you than you could ever imagine. I want to start that off as we get into the book of Daniel. But let, let's pray before we look at the text. All right, pray with me. Father, um... Would you send your spirit to minister to each and every one of us in this room? 
Help us to have the courage to dream and imagine things that we, I guess, that make us vulnerable. Help us to have the humility to admit that we don't know when we can't see the future. And I pray as we talk about your word in both the Old and the New Testament that, that your son Jesus is lifted up before our minds and hearts and we adore him and we, we honestly, that we do what we just sang, that we want to run into his arms and that we find there that everything he has for us is more than enough. And, and Father, forbid that that is just an idea. Would you make that a reality in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So would you put uh, Daniel uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 up? We're looking at Daniel this semester for a while, all right? So here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, and of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So Daniel, Daniel's pretty close to y'all's age when we meet him in the text. He was a teenager, at most 20, probably something like 15. And here he is in his youth, at the beginning of Daniel, in a foreign world. In his teenage years, most likely, with a new name and new customs just getting started. This is how the book of Daniel begins. And if you could, uh, if you could Robert, with the, the text, just go back to the beginning of Daniel, just to have that up for a bit as I talk about it. This is how the, this is how the story of Daniel begins with the holy city of Jerusalem besieged, the temple overthrown, and the people of God scattered, placed as servants in foreign countries, and given new names associated with false gods. Friends, like no one other than a few scattered prophets would have believed that this was going to happen. God would never let his city fall, would it? Would he? I know, I know people who argue God would never let America fall. Would God let Jerusalem fall? Surely he wouldn't let his people be taken captive, right? He definitely won't let an enemy king come into his temple and steal all the stuff out of it and use it to worship a false god, a foreign god, but he did. All of those things happened. This was absolutely scandalous for the people of Israel. Daniel, as a teenager, just saw everything that mattered to him in his world crumble. And I'm quite sure, like most teenagers, he had plans and hopes for his life. God had plans for him, too. 
There's a super famous Bible verse that gets like, used on journals and tattooed on people's bodies all over the place uh, from, from Jeremiah 29.11. Would you put that up just so we can look at that for a second? Some of you may know this. Some of you may have it tattooed. Good for you. Um, we'll, look, we'll examine that over the next couple weeks. So Daniel probably had plans as a teenager. And listen to what God says because uh, th- this is, uh, I guess I'll say a little bit more about it, but it says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God has plans. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. This was a prophecy given to Jeremiah for Daniel and his friends in Babylon. Like it was actually sent. It was God said, Jeremiah, I want you to write these down. I want you to send this letter to all the exiles in Babylon of whom Daniel's a part. Daniel, we know from later in Daniel, Daniel's reading this. Like he actually saw that prophecy. I know if I were Daniel, I would have a really hard time being excited to tattoo that on my body. Because I just saw the God's holy city pillaged. And if you read the stories from Lamentations or read the stories out of Second Kings or Second Chronicles or the places that detail the destruction of Jerusalem, it was terrible. Terrible things happened. And Daniel was in, in, in this really formative time of his life witnessing all of that and praying probably day and night for God to rescue his city and finally the enemy king conquers and takes him away to a foreign land, gives him a new name to a false god, and starts to teach him their ways of life. And in the midst of that time, Daniel receives a prophecy and God says, I know the plans I have for you. How would you receive that if you were Daniel? Daniel. It doesn't seem like much of a plan. It doesn't seem like a future and a hope is what you have in store for me, God. Sometimes, friends, life does not look like we thought it would look. Sometimes, maybe often, we aren't sure how what we experience fits in with what we know about God. And and this is the backdrop of the entire book of Daniel. This is the context within which it fits, and everything we read in it needs to be understood in light of that context. What is Daniel supposed to do when his world is spinning out of control and he is somewhere that he never planned to be? And what would God have us do when it seems like our worlds are spinning out of control and we are experiencing things or we are places we never planned to be? What are you going to do with your life, maybe especially in those seasons? In the opening lines of Daniel, these just first few verses, and for the next couple weeks, we're going to go through quite a few more verses in chapter 1 before we get into the big vision stuff. But in the opening lines, I'm reminded that God's plans are not always my plans. If it is in God's plan at one point in history to let his holy city get conquered and his people scattered, it's hard for me to be absolutely certain that he has promised me a dream job, a spouse, and a cush retirement plan. So here's the question. What are you planning without God? What are you doing in your life right now without considering God? What are you going to do with your life? Robert, would you put up James for me? The third chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. James, the brother of Jesus, has this to say. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, and yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time 
and then vanishes. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So many plans. I have a plan to go. We're going to arrive at this place. Here's how long we're going to be there. Here's what we're going to do there. And here's the consequence, the fruit of what happens there. So many things I have planned. And yet I don't even know what tomorrow will bring. None of us knows for certain what tomorrow will bring. Yet we make so many plans. So many things we say we're going to do. And yet none of us knows specifically what God has in store for us tomorrow or the next day during midterms and finals or Christmas or next season. When that guy Joe told me that day that I had no idea what God was going to do with my life, he was right. I had all these plans. I had all these things that I was going to do, places I was going to go. I was without question double majoring in sociology and psychology and then going to law school because I like arguing. And after practicing law for a decade, I was going to consider a job in politics if I thought I could uphold myself ethically there. I wasn't going to get married till at least 30. I wasn't going to have kids till 35. I was going to move to Chicago or New York City because introverts like me who like to read and are cynical, we like having an excuse to complain and an excuse to be indoors and millions of people mean we can disappear easily. I knew all of those things. And, I, and if you asked me how certain am I that I was going to make my life plan, I, I would have dishonestly told you 99% sure because I was 100% sure that was my plan. I did none of those things. I didn't major in those majors. I got married before 30, had three kids before 35. I didn't move to a big city. I moved to this small town in the south I never even heard of called Chattanooga. I wasn't even sure I was a, wanted to be a Christian at that point in my life. I never would have thought I would be a pastor. And this town is way too small and too sunny for my comfort level. Okay, So if you had told me all of those things, if you, told, if you laid out some of the things God was going to do with my life and the things, places I would be, the people I'd be friends with, the things I liked about my life and didn't like about my life, the habits that I had, like what's crazy is I didn't even like the Seahawks a ton when I was 18. I liked it when I was really young and a lot now, but at that point I was like, I don't even know if I like sports. That's too like typical for dudes. I love the Seahawks, you know? Like I had no idea. What, what, what would happen in my life? And if you told me at 18 all of this was going to happen, I wouldn't believe it. I really wouldn't believe it. I would have thought you were crazy. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And, and a question that comes up for me when I hear this kind of talk, or when I begin to pay attention to how little I've known about what the future would hold and what God's plans have been for me, the question that comes up is, does this mean I just shouldn't plan? Like, should I just sort of throw up my hands and say, whatever will be, will be? No, no, no. Listen to what James says next in verse 15. He says, instead, so, so instead of saying, come now, he says, well, instead of saying, today or tomorrow, we're going to go here and do this and do that and do all these things. Instead of that, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Listen to that. If the Lord wills, we will live. That's like, I don't even know if I'm going to live tomorrow. So if the Lord wills, I'll live, and if I live, if he wills, I'll do this or that. But, but let's deal with the hard pill to swallow first. When I told Joe all the stuff that I was going to do with my life, it was arrogant. Because of how common it is for us to tell everyone our plans... It sounds really absurd in our culture for me to say that. 
I, I kept rewriting this and tinkering with this. I even prayed. I was like, Lord, I don't want to say this stuff because people are just going to think it's super intense. And, but but I, I, I want to stick with what the scriptures have to say, and I think it's, I think it's true. It was arrogant. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't even know what most of my plans entailed. I didn't even know what sociology was. Classes and it didn't help. It was ignorance and it was arrogant. But more than that, James says it was evil. It's so intense to call such a common thing we do all the time evil. I know, I know, I know. But why is it evil? It's evil because I was considering no one but me. No one but me. You weren't in my plans. God was not in my plans. For all I knew, the world existed to serve my plans. I probably wouldn't have worded it that way, but I might, I might have. I wasn't considering anybody but me, and on top of that, I don't even know what's good for me most of the time. If God had let my plans happen, it wouldn't have been good for me or for the world. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't know Anna, my bride. I wouldn't know my three children, Jack and Blythe and Audrey. Like they wouldn't exist. If God, different people might exist, I don't know them. I know my kids, and they're great, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't exist if God let my plans happen. You and I wouldn't know each other. It's evil because I was considering no one but me. And it's evil because it causes so much havoc on us to try to answer this question without God. Creating all of these plans in our lives. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Answering the question, what are you going to do with your life, over and over and over again, taxes and burdens us. I see it every year in seniors before they graduate. It's the one question that they never want to be asked. So what's next? What are you going to do right after you graduate college? You got a job lined up yet? Those kinds of questions create so much exhaustion for people right before the next stage. It's heavy. It's a burden we weren't meant to carry alone. And apart from a trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm utterly convinced that all of our planning, all of our, our, our assuming what's next and angling for what's next and manipulating for what's next and working for what's next, all of those things just create worry and anxiety for us. So James' advice, it's not for us to not make plans. He doesn't say stop making plans. He doesn't say stop dreaming or wanting or planning. He says consider God. Consider God and make your plans. What are you going to do tonight after this? This. Who are you going to hang out with? What classes are you going to take? Where are you going to lunch tomorrow? What are you going to do this weekend? What are you majoring in? How should you steward your loan or your grant money? What are you going to do with your life. Which of these things are you doing without considering God? Consider him. If the Lord wills, you'll live. And if the Lord wills, you'll do those things. Here's what I'm planning. But it's God's will that I trust. I plan, I hope, I desire all great things. Jesus invites us to bring all of our desires to God, not to stuff them, not to cure them, not to do your own work on them, cleaning them up before you bring them to him. Whatever it is you want, bring them before God. But one of the reasons you bring them before God is because you don't trust them enough. 
And friends, shouldn't your history reveal to you the truth of that? How often have your desires led you astray? How often have you planned for something that didn't actually deliver what you thought it would deliver? Over and over and over again. And Jesus, in his grace, doesn't say, well, then you should stop planning and desiring. He's, no. He says, just bring it to me. I know what's really good for you, and so you don't have to worry about that. Bring it to me. I can't be manipulated by you, so you don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to say yes to you because you have a really great sales pitch if it's not good for you. So just bring it here. And if it's not good for you, I won't do it. And if it's, if it's good for you, I'd love to actually give you every single good gift that you desire. I really would. Jesus says, bring them here, right? So, so I hope, I plan, I desire, but I will trust God. Not my plans, not my hopes, not my desires. And just quickly, because sometimes I think in our newness to discover things, sometimes we get off on these sort of tracks. This isn't a magic phrase. Like if the Lord wills is not like magic stuff that we just pour out over our desires and then things happen. So it's not about uh, saying if the Lord wills. Quite, quite frankly, it might be better for you not to say that all the time for the sake of your relationships with other people. You know, if you say like, hey, do you want to go lunch tomorrow? And I'm like, God willing, uh, you know, all the time, uh, which it's, it's appropriate probably for me to think that, you know, like if God wants me to, like, I don't know. Like if you ask me if I want to come to lunch and I, and I say I'd love to, I know, and this is what I hope, is that I know that between now and then anything might happen in a day. Anything. And the appropriate thing for me to do is to mean what I say, right? Let my yes be yes. You ask me if I want to go to lunch, I say, I'd love to. Yes. If I'm, if I'm really being a stickler, I probably shouldn't even say I promise. I'll just say yes. And I mean those things when I say yes. You know, that, that's the, sort of the idea. That's what Jesus would like for his people is for them to mean what they say. I got some work to do in that area. But so I say I'd love to, and the appropriate thing for me to do is to mean that, right? Let my yes be yes, but to humbly know that even when it comes to my lunch plans, I don't know what might take place between here and there. And so I tell you my desires, and I mean it, and if the Lord wills, I will follow through with that. Friends, I know this time of life is full of planning and responding to people, asking you what you're going to do with your life. And I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know him, the one who created you and sustains you, the one who gives you the weight of glory that's far greater than you possibly know. He was there in the beginning and will stand before you in the end. I want you to know him. Because if you do, and you know what he's like, and you know how much he's for you, then quite frankly, I think dreaming about your future and planning for your future and answering what am I going to do with my life, it's not a big burden. The examples in Scripture are plenty. The amount of times St. Paul says something like, I've been praying for you nonstop. I really long to come see you if, if the Lord lets me. At one point, he actually tried to go to a place, and he said, the Lord shut the door, and so I, so I couldn't come. Jesus in the garden, maybe the most, it's just a wild thing that brings up so many other questions for me, right? But Jesus on his knees, in that terrible hour in the garden of Gethsemane, the night of his betrayal, says, Lord, I want this cup to pass, but not my will, but your will. You can bring your desires before God. Please do. But trust in him. 
the burden is just way too heavy for your shoulders to have to know exactly what you're going to do and why you're going to do it and that it's good and that you're powerful enough to carry it through and that it's really going to represent you well and that it's good for the world and you're going to like it in hindsight. All of the pressure in that process. If you know Jesus and you know that God is for you and that it's his good pleasure to give you the whole sweep of the kingdom, it can be freedom and just invitation into his life to consider what's next. And that doesn't mean everything is roses when it happens. That's not how Daniel starts off. When Daniel hears the plans of God, he's in a train wreck of a circumstance. That's a, that's a huge understatement. Quite frankly, I think this message is needed precisely because when we experience, or, or precisely when we experience, so many things which frustrate our hopes and desires. I came to college and I was super looking forward to making like all my best friends in like two weeks. And you get six weeks in and you're lonely. And your plans didn't work out. What do you do? When I was 18, I didn't know how many more people I would see die over the next 18 years. I didn't know that I would see four more divorces in my parents in 18 years. I didn't know that my wife and I would miscarry a child, that one of my brothers would be homeless, that I would struggle with debt right out of college. I didn't know that some of my closest friends would experience adultery in their marriages. I didn't know that kind of stuff was coming. I had plans to do law and argue with people and make a lot of money. Those were my plans. I didn't plan for this other stuff. None of that was in my plans. And what I need to know in those moments is that God actually has better plans. Because mine and yours, quite frankly, they just don't answer the problems of brokenness that you see around you and that exist in the world. Whose plans do? What I need isn't to even make better plans. What I need is to trust that in the end, when I look back, that I will be able to say, God is good. That in the end, when I look back, I'll be able to say, God, I've got nothing to say but that you are good. That all things work for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. I need to know that. I hope for that right now. I long for that stuff right now. I have faith in that. One day I'll see that. My invitation tonight, friends, from the opening lines of Daniel, and these words from the brother of Jesus, James, is for you to humbly admit that you do not know what the future brings and that your plans are not always or even often good for you or the world. And as you go through college, this season that's saturated with questions about your plans, would you consider others and would you consider Jesus? The instructions in the Proverbs, the, the, one of the, the, the chief wisdom books of the Bible, is that we commit our actions, commit our words, commit our thoughts to God and to see how he unfolds his plans for our life as we do that. That's how we actually discover if he's trustworthy. That's how we taste and see if he's good. That's it. It's a daunting idea, second week of college. I was trying to squirm out of talking about this and get on to something that sounded peppy. But I know all of you are making plans or answering questions about what you're going to do this year. You don't know. And I submit to you, I submit to you, that God has greater plans than you could ever possibly imagine for your life.
if you don't know what it means to commit some actions or thoughts or deeds to the Lord, to consider him, if you don't know what it means to consider him, would you just come talk to me after this? Or talk to a member on staff or leadership? I'd love to talk to you about it. What are you going to do with your life? You have no idea all the things God has in store for you. So I want to encourage you to say this, if the Lord is willing, I'm going to do this and see what happens. This is an invitation, and I, I truly want to hear responses. What are you doing tonight after the house? What are you doing tomorrow during the day? What are you going to do at the next weekend that's coming up? Who are you going to spend time with? Would you consider the Lord? Say, if the Lord is willing, I'm going to spend time with this person. If the Lord is willing, in your, in your head or your heart, maybe not say it out loud so much, if the Lord is willing, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go home this weekend. And I look forward to hearing stories about what that begins to, to do to the way you think about your plans and how much stress is, is, is sort of sloughed off. I would love to actually do that together as a community. I hope we in this room get to be a part of that kind of process together. We're going to look at, at the story of Daniel in the next couple of weeks and look exactly at what it means for him to consider the Lord and his actions and, and learn from him how actually to participate in that culture and how to resist certain things. And so we'll tease out this idea over the next couple of weeks. But the invitation's really broad. You are making plans all day long. What are you doing without considering the Lord? Consider him. And let's do this together and, to, and share stories about what that looks like. Lord, Lord willing, of course. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Father, um, Right this minute, I am so thankful for your truth for my life. Um, but it is so daunting to, to talk about things that, that quite frankly, I, I know that many of us in this room don't want to be confronted with our inability to plan perfectly or the fact that we don't know everything or the fact that we have to trust you and we're not sure what you're going to do. Um, so would you help? We ask that your spirit would... Um, meet all of us in the next 24 hours, even before we go to bed tonight. Even what time we go to bed, would we consider you? Would you bring to our mind all of the things that we plan without ever considering you or others? And would you begin to make us more like Jesus? May this community be a place of grace, letting that happen. And may your kingdom come and your will be done in this community as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.